0: Okay, so last week I shared with you uh, some of my hopes and dreams and goals for the new year. I said I wanted to lose a little bit of weight and uh, we talked about sowing and reaping, didn't we? And so this week I've been sowing into that through exercise, not through positive eating. So we'll see how that pays off tomorrow when I weigh in. (laughs) That's all good. But I also said that as a family, we want to go on some more adventures So I'd set the same goal for last year and that hadn't gone so well. So this year we wanted to be intentional about going on adventures. So yesterday was a glorious day and we went on an adventure. We went to find a castle. It was one of the things I wanted to do. Um, And so we went to Liverpool Castle. Anyone heard of Liverpool Castle? It's not in Liverpool. Very decent, it's like Bolton Abbey, not in Bolton. (laughs) Very confusing, isn't it? Just call it what it is. Liverpool Castle is near the foot of Winter Hill, And it was actually a replica castle from a castle that was on the Mersey. And so someone thought, I'll just rebuild a replica of this castle. And so it's like this ruined castle and uh, and it's fantastic. We went there and there's loads of little corridors you can walk down and, and rooms you can explore and the kids had a great time. And so we were chatting on the way home about other things that we can set as goals for this year, about adventures that we can go on. And so some of the things that came up were... Well, I suggested maybe we should climb a mountain. I was like, How do you feel about climbing a mountain? And they were like, Yeah, that sounds great. But yesterday we were less than an hour in and they were like, I'm so tired. Are we nearly there? I just want to go. So I'm thinking that maybe, just maybe, climbing a mountain is maybe not for this year. But we put it on the list anyway. They said, How about we go swimming in a lake? And they're like, Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. You know, they're both Caleb's pretty good at swimming, Toby's just learning, so I'm like, we'll go swimming. Today? I'm like, no, it's a bit cold today, we won't go swimming today, but in the summer when it's warm, we'll go swimming. Okay, so they're up for that. And then, and then uh, Toby, wasn't it, said, let's go camping. Now anyone who knows me knows that I loathe camping. There's nothing worse than being stuck up in a tent with a sleeping bag and just no. But I don't want to pass that on to them, so we'll go camping this year. We'll go camping and we'll go on that great adventure and i just want to i just want to be intentional about going on adventures because it's fun isn't it it's enlightening it it helps bring the family together and so this morning i want to talk about the great adventure i want to talk about the great adventure and i'm going to start with three scriptures um three boats if you like the first one's a little tenuous but i'm sure you'll bear with me three scenes from the bible that have boats in them and the first one is taken from matthew chapter 4 is a passage that most of us will know really well when Jesus calls the first disciples. And in Matthew 4, starting at verse 18, it says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat. There's a boat. I told you there was a boat. With Zebedee, their father, mending the nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So Jesus calls his disciples and they drop everything and they follow him. And the next portion of scripture I want to read is from Mark chapter 4. Um, verses 35 to uh, 41, again, a very well-known portion of Scripture where Jesus calms the storm. And it says this in Mark chapter 4. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him uh, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling up. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then the other portion of scripture, the final one, is taken from Matthew chapter 14, the final boat in our trio of boats, starting at verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went upon the mountain to pray by himself. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Truly you are the Son of God. So three different scenes there from the life of Jesus with his disciples and three boat scenes. And the first uh, scripture we read, Jesus called his disciples. And I don't know about you, but I've often wondered about, about why they just had this willingness to drop everything. Jesus came along the shore and he said, hey you, follow me. And they were just like, yeah, okay. Okay and left everything that they ever knew. They, they literally left their business right there on the seashore because they were fishermen. They were in the boat fishing when Jesus came and called them and they literally left the boat, left the nets. Some of them left their dad and just went. They just followed him. They, no questions, no doubts. They just dropped everything immediately, it says. Immediately, they dropped everything and followed Jesus immediately. It's, it's fascinating that they just had this, this, this immediate response to the call from Jesus. They heard him say, follow me. They heard him say, come with me. And they dropped everything and followed him. And the reality is this, that actually Jesus was known in, in the city of Galilee, in the town of Galilee. They, they knew who this Jesus fellow was. They knew him as a rabbi, And not a rabbi in the sense of a teacher in the temple, but a rabbi in the sense of uh, someone who is knowledgeable in the scriptures, someone who people would look up to and call, uh, it it literally meant great one or master, that word rabbi. So it emphasized kind of a great respect that you would have for, for someone that you would call a rabbi. It recognized them as wise, it recognized them as a knowledgeable person. So they knew that Jesus was this kind of rabbi, level character. He was well read in the scriptures. He was a person who was probably worth following, but still their response seems a little unnatural, doesn't it? They just dropped everything immediately and followed Jesus when he called them. And actually the, the call that Jesus gave to the fishermen that day was, was actually the call to become Talmudim, Talmudim, a, it's a Hebrew noun meaning disciple, but actually in its truest sense, it means to learn everything, to, to actually leave your family and to go and study and to learn the ways of your teacher or your rabbi. So that's what we see here, isn't it? That they leave everything. They leave their family, they leave their business, they leave everything that they've ever known to follow this rabbi and to learn from Jesus, And it's a beautiful picture, actually, of the opportunity that that Jesus gave to them, this opportunity that he presented them on that shore that day. But also, it's the same opportunity that he presents to you and I, that actually we have this opportunity to learn from him, to to drop everything in that sense and follow him and see what we can learn from him. But actually, it's not just about, about learning, about knowledge, but it's also about becoming more like the person that you're following. That's what it means to be this Talmud, Talmud, I think is the phrase of an individual, a Talmud, that you're actually not just learning knowledge, but you're learning how to become like that person. And so in this scene on on the shore that day, in reality, it probably should have been the other way around. So rather than Jesus saying to them, you can come and follow me, It should have been them recognizing Jesus as this rabbi character and chasing him down and saying, can we follow you? Can we learn from you? Can we spend time with you so that we can grasp hold of your knowledge and grasp hold of your character and become more and more like you? But in reality, what happened was the reverse of that, wasn't it? Jesus called them. Jesus presented them with an opportunity to follow him. So to put that in kind of modern day terms, it's essentially like, I don't know, a Wall Street banker going up to a kid with a hot dog stand and saying, do you want to be my apprentice? I think you've probably got some potential. And that's what Jesus did that day. He found a bunch of young lads and said, do you want to follow me? I I see some potential in you. And so Jesus begins this upside down ministry where leaders become servants and where if you want to find life you have to lose it. But that's probably another message. So these fishermen decide to answer the call that Jesus presented to them. They decided to jump into this great adventure of becoming a follower of Jesus. And the other thing that surprises me is that they do it almost blindly. He calls them and not only do they respond immediately, they, but they do it seemingly with very little knowledge and understanding of what what's to face them, what's to follow, what the future would look like becoming a disciple of Jesus. Like we've said, Jesus was probably known in the area for his knowledge of the scriptures and, and he'd been baptised by John Hanty, who was, who was basically declaring that Jesus was the saviour. But at this moment, no miracles had happened. So there was that kind of level of certainty of who Jesus was. It wasn't there at this time. They, they might have thought, oh, this could be, the Saviour who we're waiting for, but they didn't know for definite. There wasn't that level of certainty. In fact, it would take three years of them following Jesus and walking with him and talking with him and doing life with him before they came to that certainty that he was the Saviour. But in that moment when they dropped everything and answered the call to this great adventure, they didn't know for definite what life was going to look like when they followed him. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to respond to something of that magnitude, if I'm going to drop everything and, and change the course of my life, I'm going to want to sit down and ask some questions. So if Jesus might have said to me on the seashore that day, follow me. Well, I recognize him as a, a rabbi character. He's trustworthy. He's knowledgeable in the scriptures. But maybe we could just grab a brew have a bit of a chat what what's this going to look like how long is it going to take what am i going to get at the end of it do i get a certificate that says i'm a graduate of jesus ministry am i going to what is this going to look like is it going to cost me financially is it going to cost me more than than just leave it what is this going to look like i don't know if if maybe that's just me that i like to just think things through a bit and let's just make sure that i know what i'm getting myself into before i jump headlong into this opportunity, but they didn't do that, did they? They just dropped everything immediately and took this call, responded to this invitation from Jesus. But when Jesus called the disciples to follow him, he didn't outline the plan. He didn't give them a roadmap. He didn't present them with a a five-point plan of what the next three years were going to look like. He simply called and they followed he called and they followed. And so that's that's scene one that we looked at this morning. And then that brings us on to scenes two and, and three. And I love actually the journey that we can see the disciples go on from when Jesus calms the waves of the sea to when Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And you see, in, in the first scene of those two, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go across to the other side of the lake. And, and as they're sailing across the This huge lake, a storm rages up and, you know, these hardened fishermen get scared. So that's when you know that that the waves are pretty bad because they spend their life on the sea. They are used to the wind and the waves, but they get scared. So you know that this is not just an ordinary storm. The waves are crashing over, the boat's filling up. It's kind of getting to the point where they're a bit like, this isn't going to end well. So they're a little bit nervous and then one says to the other, Has anyone seen Jesus? And they have a quick look around and they see him taking a nap in the back of the boat. And they're like, Jesus, maybe you want to wake up because we're about to die. And so they kind of give him a bit of a shake and they wake him up. and, And it's all very dramatic, isn't it? But that's easy to say, stood here on dry land. I think if we were in the boat, we probably would have been acting the same as them, wouldn't we? So Jesus wakes up and he calms the storm. That's the first thing that he does. He wakes up and he calms the storm. And then he says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And I love that, the way that he does things. The first thing that he does is rebuke the storm. That's his first action when he wakes up. He calms the storm. He puts them in a place of ease. He calms their fears. But then he points out their errors. So first he puts them at ease, he fixes the, the thing that's going wrong, and then he calls them out on it, doesn't he? But just to kind of put this rebuke, if you like, in context, at this time, now we kind of move forward in time, so at this time when, when Jesus is calm in the sea, they would have seen Jesus performing miracles So he wasn't just this guy who was knowledgeable in the scriptures, someone worthy of being followed and and learning from in terms of character. They'd literally seen the power of God working through him in miracles and, and healings. So they'd seen what power he carried. And yet his presence in the boat wasn't enough to calm their fears. He was there. He was with them. This, this powerful being who they'd been doing life with for a while, he was with them, and yet they were still scared. It wasn't enough for them. What I find interesting is that before they went on this specific journey, before they, they set off to travel across the sea, Jesus said to them, Let's go across to the other side. He didn't say, Let, Let's set off and we'll just see how it goes. He didn't say, the weather looks a little bit iffy, but I reckon we could probably just about make it across. He says, let's go. There's a confidence there. There's almost a promise that they're going to make it to the other side. And yet, in the midst of all their their kind of fears, in the midst of that moment when the storm is raging, they have all this fear. And actually, Jesus' presence and his promise that they would get to the other side wasn't enough for them and then Jesus calms the storms and then their response to that is interesting too their response to Jesus actions is who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him who is this so way back to the start when he calls his disciples, they recognized something in Jesus, didn't they? Otherwise, they wouldn't have left everything to follow him. They recognized that this was a man worthy of giving their time to, worthy of following. And then they're in the boat and, and Jesus is with them. And they've, they've already at this stage now seen his power at work. They've seen him performing miracles and doing incredible things. And then he calms the sea as if that's any more weird than healing someone. He does that, and they're like, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? But then as we move on to the third boat scene, just look at the journey that they've come on. So once again, they're they're on a boat on Lake Galilee, the scene of of all of these uh, these boats that we've been talking about, And, and this time, Jesus isn't with them. He sent them off in the boat, and this time he, he's not with them. And just as an aside, this is absolutely Jesus preparing the disciples for the time that was coming soon where he would no longer be with them. So he intentionally sent them out first ahead of him. He said, you go, I'll clear off the crowds, and then I'll catch up. So he sends them out into the sea, across to the other side of the sea, And the storm starts raging again. But this time Jesus comes to them and he comes walking on the water. Now I'm going to absolutely forgive the disciples of their response because if you and I saw someone walking towards us in a storm on the water, we would be petrified, would we not? It's a ghost! Okay, I can believe that because no one's ever seen anyone walk on the water before. So Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and and what's his first action? His first action is to say, don't be afraid, it's me. So the first thing that he does is he calms that situation. And then something incredible happens, because Peter, after now having done life with Jesus a little bit longer... Is, is kind of recognizing the power that Jesus has. He's recognizing that actually he can trust in this guy and actually he can have a little bit of boldness and faith in this guy. So he does something amazing and he says to Jesus, if it's really you, then call me out onto the water. If it really is you and you really are the man that I think you are, if I can really trust you and if I can really have faith in you then tell me to come to you and I will. Wow, what a what a sense of assurance he must have had, a boldness of faith. And so of course Jesus recognizing that says, yeah, absolutely it's me. Come over here. And so Peter steps out of the boat and I can't imagine what faith that must have taken to step out of the boat, even with Jesus stood there on the water, even knowing what they'd seen him do with the the miracles that he performed, to step out of the boat. And it wasn't a calm sea. It said that the waves were rolling. So he's having to step out onto the water and not knowing if he's going to like sink a bit before he starts walking on it or if he's just going to sink straight away or if it's going to be like walking on glass. He had no clue what it was going to be like. But Jesus said, come. So he stepped out of the boat And he keeps his eyes fixed on Jesus and he starts to walk towards him on the water. And I I can only imagine the joy and the elation and the mixture of fear in there as well that must have been going through his veins as he begins to walk towards his Savior. And then he notices what's going on around him. And then the fear that probably was there from the very moment he stepped out of the boat begins to consume him and he starts to sink. And it says in Scripture that, as soon as he started to sink, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. Immediately the the response was there to save the situation, to resolve the issue, to bring calm and to bring peace. So once again we see Jesus acting first to bring some element of calm, to bring an element of peace, But then once he's got him and he's pulled him back onto the water, I can only assume they're just standing on the water now together. And he's like, oh, you of little faith. You stood on the water. You are literally walking on water. Where is your faith? Do you not get it? Why are you doubting? So we see in these two scenes, don't we, that first Jesus calms the storm and then he says, why do you doubt me? And then in this instance with Peter, he he saves him and pulls him back up onto sea level, still standing on the water. And then he says, why do you doubt? Where is your faith? But look, this is the journey that they've come on because now their response is different. You see, when Jesus calmed the waves, they said, who is this? Who is this that even the waves and the sea obey him? But then when Jesus saves Peter and pulls him back up onto the water, now their response is different because it says that they worshipped. And then they declare, truly, you are the Son of God. So they've gone on this journey where they still had fear. They still had uh, concerns and issues. and, And they were still kind of consumed a little bit by that. But they've gone from, who the heck is this guy? To truly, you are the son of God. At no point on this journey did they have it all figured out. At no point had they kind of understood fully what was going on and, and, and trusted 100% because they still had these fears and doubts, but their faith was bigger than their fear. In this end scene, their faith was bigger than their fear so that they had the confidence in their Savior that actually once they'd gone through this scene, they'd gone through this scenario, they could worship him and declare, truly, you are the Son of God. And I think this shows the transformation that not only they went on, but you and I can go on. When we walk with Jesus, when we talk with Jesus, when we do life with Jesus, when we see him work miracles in our life and the lives of those around us, when we spend life with Jesus, we can begin to grow in confidence. We can begin to see our faith build up. We can begin to have that hope and assurance and we we really get to know him and to trust in him. And then eventually our response will be, worship. Our response will be awe and wonder at our mighty Savior who is worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. So what I want to do in the next few moments that we have together is just look at three points around this idea of a call to the great adventure that is following Jesus Christ. And the first point is this, that a call to adventure requires faith. It requires faith. You see, God wants us to continually step out of our comfort zones and trust him. He wants us to step out of that boat, not knowing what it's going to feel like when we get on the water. You see, we have to leave room for God to guide us along the journey. If God were to come in and, and to show us step by step exactly what it was going to look like. If we sat down with him at the beginning of that call and had that brew and said, let me just see what this is going to actually look like from start to finish, it wouldn't require any faith, would it? Because we'd know exactly what it was going to look like. We'd know when there were going to be areas where we would have been concerned, but he's already put us at ease because he said, this is going to happen, but don't worry because I'll do this and then you'll come through it and it'll be all good. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? But it requires no faith because we know what's going to happen and we know how God's going to work. So instead, this call to a great adventure requires some faith on our part because Jesus calls us on this journey, but he doesn't lay out what the plan is going to be. He just says, follow me. He just says, follow me. And I think that actually when we have that faith, And that trust in him when we kind of get to a place where we're okay with not knowing what it's going to look like actually it begins to kind of free us a bit it begins to free us from getting stuck in our in our own ideas or our own kind of workings out because when we're facing a problem when we're facing an issue or or some kind of wall has been been built up and we're kind of facing this thing and we're trying to we're calling out to god and saying god i need you to come through in this situation. I need you to, to work a miracle. I need you to break through in this for me because I can't get through this on my own. And then we begin to try and work out how he might do it. Well, here's an idea, God, how, have you thought of this? Maybe what you could do is you could just move this person here and, and you could change their heart and then, then maybe I could get through. It'll be all easy if you just could do this. Here's a, here's a checklist for you. If you could just work through this, everything will be fine. You see, we get stuck in our own understanding of what's possible and and how God could work, but forget the fact that God is so much bigger and better and greater and wiser than we could ever be. You think that you could come up with a plan that's better than the plan that Jesus has got for you to get through that situation or circumstance? Absolutely not. So we've just got to forget our own humanity. We've got to let go of our own concerns and just put our faith... And put our trust 100% in him. Because our ideas are not only limited by our worldly mindset, they're flawed. We might come up with a great plan. But actually it's probably not going to work out. So why bother? Why bother coming up with a plan in the first place? Just give it to God and say, do you know what? I trust you. If it's really you, tell me to come. And he says, come. And then we need to step out of the boat and on to the water, not having a clue what that's gonna look like. You see, God sees everything. He's got the roadmap. He knows exactly where we started, where we'll finish, and which route we're gonna take along the way. He sees everything, past, present, future. He's not limited by anything that the the world puts us in, in terms of that kind of restrictions. So when Jesus presented the fishermen with this opportunity to become Talmudim, to become disciples, they dropped everything and they followed him. Total trust, total faith. And when, G- when Peter heard Jesus call to him and said, step out of the boat, he answered that call. The faith that that must have required to step out of the boat and onto the water. And it was only when he took his eyes off Jesus that things started to go wrong. When he was fixed on Jesus and walking towards him, it was all good. It was only when he got distracted by the waves and his fear that he began to sink. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, then it might not be easy. No one's promising. I mean, I've not walked on water, but I don't know if it's easy or not. Probably not, because you have to get over all kinds of anxiety, and what if I step in the wrong bit of the water? I don't know. It's not going to be easy, but as long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we'll find ourselves moving closer to him. We'll find ourselves moving closer to him and actually beginning to look more and more like him, which is ultimately the goal of being a disciple. It's interesting, isn't it, that actually the thing that caused the disciples' fear was just a footpath for Jesus, this thing that they were petrified of, the, the wind and the waves, well, Jesus just came strolling out like it's no big deal. And that just kind of gives you, I don't know, comfort and assurance that he's bigger and better and greater and wiser than we could ever be. So we don't need to fear. We just need to have faith. We just need to trust. And I think the comforting thing is when we, when we answer this call to go on this adventure that we, de- we don't need to know everything. We don't need to know everything. As long as you're with someone you can trust. You see, when we went on the adventure yesterday with the boys, they didn't ask me at the beginning, where is it that we're going to go? What is that journey going to look like? How long is it going to take? They just knew that their dad was going to take them somewhere that would be fun, and they trusted me. Now, I'm human. So I took the wrong direction when we first start. We went in the wrong direction, and we're walking along this path. And Ruth says, "Are we definitely going in the right direction?" And I was like, yeah, "I think so. Let me just check the map." Yep, we're going in the right direction. We just keep going up here, and then take a U-turn. We'll get to where we're gonna. Go. We'll get to where we're gonna go. But ultimately, we got to the destination that we were headed for. But I, in my humanity, just took us the scenic route. But as long as we're with someone that we trust and we have that faith, we can go on this adventure. So the first point is that this call to adventure requires faith. And the second is that God reveals his will as we trust in him. He reveals his will as we trust in him. Now this Christian life, this walk with Jesus that he calls us to when he says, follow me when he calls us to be his disciples, when he calls us onto this great adventure, is something incredible. It's a great opportunity. It should be on us chasing him down, saying, Can I follow you? But he calls to us, I want you to follow me. I see potential in you. I want you to come with me. And what I'm learning as I go on this journey is that where God guides, he provides. Where God guides, he provides. You see, we go on this journey and we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know which path we're going to be taking. And I don't know what those paths are going to bring. But he said, follow me. So I'm just going to follow him. You see, when you open a roadmap and you look at, okay, I'm here and I'm going to get to here, you'll quickly see that there are multiple routes to get to that end destination, And it doesn't really matter which route you take because in the end you'll still get to where it is that you're heading. But each one of those routes comes with its own set of challenges or its own set of advantages. You see, you might choose this route and it turns out that it takes you across a place that's got incredible beauty and you get these amazing views that just make you just in awe of God's beauty. Or maybe you'll take another route and it turns out that this one's full of rocks and boulders and challenges and trials that are going to cause us all kinds of issues. But it's still a route to the end destination. And one route might get you there really quickly and another route might get you there a lot slower. But it doesn't really matter which route you take because the end destination is still the end destination. As long as you're going on that journey with someone who you trust you'll get there in the end but the important thing and the lesson that we can learn from the disciples is is not to get too hung up on which route we take and just to get going without needing to know the full picture so me in my humanity i say well if you call me to go on this incredible journey i want to know some stuff i want some assurances i want to see what it's going to look like but he says No, just follow me. And we saw from the disciples that they just dropped everything and they followed him. And he took them on an interesting journey where he he showed them some incredible things and he taught them some amazing things by demonstrating to them through the way in which he lived out his life. And, And they just learned from him, didn't they? That was the call of the disciple to learn not only knowledge, but to learn character and to learn culture. And actually, as we go on that journey over time, as with the disciples, we'll we'll develop this increasingly intimate relationship with Jesus. As we go on this journey and we walk in faith and we walk in trust, we'll become closer and closer to him. And, And actually, what we'll find is that our faith begins to grow and our trust begins to grow and our reliance on him begins to grow as we go on this journey. And as long as we keep our eyes Fixed on him, then we're certain that we'll keep moving closer to him. As long as we keep our eyes fixed on him, we'll continue to walk closer to him. And actually, like Peter, we'll begin to see him working out miracles in our lives because we're focused on him. We don't need a blueprint for life, we don't need a roadmap of what our our journey with Christ is going to look like because we just need to accept the call. And then walk in tune with his spirit and allow him to guide us and to prompt us and to have the faith that he knows what he's doing. To have that faith that I don't need to know everything as long as you know everything. I'm just a child in this picture and I'm looking to my father to trust in him and have that certainty that he's going to get me somewhere great. That when we get to our end destination... I am going to love it because he's my father and I trust in him. In Proverbs 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know, before getting out of the boat, Peter did one very important thing. Before he stepped out of his place of comfort and onto this place of uncertainty, this unknown, this place of absolute fear, he did one thing and what he did was he called out to Jesus and he said, if it's really you, then tell me to come. What he did was he asked for some assurance. He said, I'm a little bit scared, but I really want to go on this journey. So can you just confirm to me? Can you just make it absolutely clear that this step isn't a step of foolishness but a step of faith because if it's not you and it actually is just a ghost and I step out of this boat I'm going to look like a right fool so is it really you and Jesus says it's me just come he gave him exactly what he needed to see he gave him that assurance he gave him that confidence to step out of the boat and to see and to realize his very own miracle. And I I don't doubt for one second that Peter would have told that story for the rest of his life at every opportunity. Let me tell you a story. And he's no doubt embellishing the size of the waves. It was just horrendous. They were over our heads and it was all coming in and we were going to drown. And then I stepped out of the boat and and I bet he left out the bit where he sank. When he's telling that story, it was incredible. I walked on the water and I got to Jesus and we had a great big hug and it was fantastic. And then, I don't know. But he got his miracle because he trusted in Jesus. So this call to adventure requires faith. And as we go on this journey, God will reveal his will to us as we trust in him. And the third point is this, that his will, God's will for us, is adventure. God's will for us is abundant Life In John 10, 10, Jesus gives us the promise, doesn't he, that he came to give us life and life in abundance. We're not supposed to live ordinary lives. We're not supposed to live boring lives. We're supposed to live extraordinary lives. We're supposed to live in abundance. That's the life that Jesus has called us to. So when he says, hey you, I see some potential in your life. Why don't you follow me? and he calls us to this great adventure, he then says, this great adventure is going to be awesome. It's going to be filled with abundance. It's going to be filled with miracles. It's going to be filled with acts of incredible faith. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say it's going to be plain sailing, but he does say it's going to be filled with abundance. So in that moment on the boat, with the waves crashing round, Peter had a choice, didn't he? I could stay in my ordinary life. I could stay in this place where I feel comfortable, in this place that I know, in this place that I feel safe. Or I can hear the call of Jesus and I can step out into the unknown and I can begin to walk and live in the extraordinary. I can begin to walk and live in something that, that looks like only an adventure with Jesus can look. Because without Jesus, there's no walking on water. Without Jesus, there's no miracles. Without Jesus, there's no healings. But he calls us to this great adventure and he says, it's going to be amazing. Just come. Just come. So I think that what we need to do, what we need to recognize is when we go on this journey that we're called to go on, that we just need to let go. Whatever it is that's holding us back. You know, some of us, maybe we're brand new to this walk with Jesus, or maybe we've been walking with Him for most of our lives, but we still need to let go in some sense. I expect that when in every single one of us, there's something that we're still clinging onto, some place of comfort, some place of safety, almost a spiritual comfort blanket that we're just hugging onto and not wanting to let go of. Because what if? Because what if? it doesn't work out. What if God doesn't come through? What if I step out and fall to the bottom of the sea? But God says, I'm calling you on an adventure and it's going to be filled with abundance. It's going to be amazing. Just let go. We need to let go and let God. Let go and let God. Let go of ourselves. Let go of our need for comfort. Let go of our need for safety. Let go of our fears. Let go of our doubts. Let go of that list of questions that you've got before you go on this journey. Just let go of it all and let God, let God work a miracle in your life. Let God show you how abundant his adventure is. Let God guide your steps and let him take you on this great adventure and let's see what stories we get for ourselves that we can retell and we can embellish and we can leave out the bits where we messed up because I believe that when we let go and we let God we'll get stories we'll get testimonies we'll get things where we can say guess what God did this time guess what he did this time isn't it amazing if only we would let go if only we would let go why don't we pray Father God, I just thank you so much for this this call that you place on our lives, this call to adventure. And I pray that we will not have overwhelming fears or anxieties about it at all, but we will just have total and utter faith and trust in you that we will know that we know that we know that you've got this, that you are for us, that you will not let us sink as long as we keep our eyes firmly fixed on you. That as we step out of our comfort zone and onto the waves that we'll be walking towards you, that we'll keep our eyes fixed on you and we'll get closer and closer to you. That not only will we we learn more of you in terms of knowledge, but we'll learn more of you in terms of character. That we'll begin to live like you and we'll begin to love like you and we'll begin to have the kind of faith that we saw you have. So we thank you for the perfect example that you gave us through the life of Jesus. And we, we want to just promise right now to do everything we can to live like that. To let go of ourselves, to let go of our humanity, to let go of our fears and just to trust in you. To live like you, knowing that as we do, we'll, we'll get our own stories. And we look forward to hearing those stories right here. In Jesus' name. Amen.